Anyway, uh, turn with me in your Bibles, um, please, to Psalm 37. If you're a guest here this morning or you're new with us, you're so welcome. My name's Steve. I don't know if I said that earlier. Forgive me, that's rude to not introduce myself. Um, I'm part of the, the leadership team here. It's great to have you with us. You're so welcome. Uh, please fill in one of our Connect cards at the end so we can keep it in touch with you and let you know what's, what's going on. Brilliant. Um, Psalm 37, get your thumb in there uh, and maybe in Matthew 6 uh, uh, as well. Um, we've been uh, working through a series the last few weeks since our uh, 22 days of prayer and fasting finished, looking at um, customized faith, uh, looking at how our culture uh, in the world that we live in actually shapes our faith far more than our roots of discipleship into the Word of God and into, into Jesus Christ. And frankly, that's not good enough. It's not going to sustain us in this generation. And so we've been looking at um, different types of commitment that we customize um, when it comes to um, our walk with, with Jesus. Today, I'm looking at commitment on my terms. Psalm 37, I'll just pick up uh, verses 4 to 7 of this amazing psalm of, of David. Um, I love this. Verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. There's an Instagram verse. Hey, want to, or in the old days, we used to put them on fridge magnets. Um, now we post them on Instagram rather than stick them on our fridges. Uh, what a great verse. Oh, but there's more. There's verse 5 as well. Um, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. And he will do this. He'll make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Jesus expresses something similar in Matthew 6 at the end of an incredible passage that is so countercultural for his generation, shaping their discipleship, telling them all the ways that, that their world and their religion has told them to think. He's giving them a whole new way of thinking that's rooted in him. And uh, towards the end of that, where he's telling them, don't, don't worry about today uh, or tomorrow. Um, don't run after everything like the pagans around you. They're words for today, aren't they? But look at this, verse 33 of Matthew 6. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What a promise that is. If you've not yet had trouble today, friends, Jesus says you probably will before it goes dark tonight. Um, Lord Jesus, we invite you just to help us now. Uh, so many things we could say from these passages, but we really want you to speak deeply into our hearts, Holy Spirit, to shape us as disciples of, of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Wow. Commitment in my terms, in, in these verses in Psalm 37, just going to move that around so I don't get my back scratched by uh, the microphone stand there. Um, commitment is expressed in action. Psalm 37 has words like trust. What does commitment look like? It looks like trusting God. Uh, dwell. Wow, it looks like resting, living in the goodness of God. In, enjoy, take delight. This is all a part of our commitment. They're good things. But there are words like commit, trust, be still. Um, commitment to God comes with amazing promises attached. You saw those there. He'll give you the desires of your heart. You'll dwell in the land. Um, Jesus said, uh, seek my kingdom first and all these things will be given to you. There are wonderful promises attached to commitment to God, but they come from our heart commitment to him. They don't stand independently of that. Um, this is the life and the attitude of, of a disciple of Jesus. It's the opposite way the world lives. 
Friends, it's the life we're learning together through this, this short series that we have, to, we have to fight for it. It doesn't just happen uh, by itself. Um, we, we don't get this kind of life of discipleship because we don't fight for it. Um, and, and today we're looking at this idea of how we fight for commitment to Jesus. Um, not some commitment on our terms that's shaped by the world, uh, but a commitment that's shaped by discipleship that the Bible draws us into. I've been uh, reading the last couple of weeks again about, um, about Generation Z um, and uh, Generation Zers or Zoomers, I think. We have boomers, now we've got Zoomers. Um, they were born kind of 95 onwards. I've got some live in my house, some Generation Zers. Um, they're amazing. They're highly educated. They're technologically savvy. It's true because I, I can see one of my Zoomers now who's on his phone while his dad's preaching. Um, but it's okay because he's looking at the scriptures. That's what they do. We, uh, us, us older uh, people think, what are they doing on their phones in church? And we realize, oh, they're, they're actually reading their Bibles. It's okay. Um, that's a good thing. Uh, we don't call them out because this is how they get their discipleship. This is how they do stuff. They're on their phones. In fact, they've usually got three or four screens open at the same time. They're innovative. They're creative. They are brilliant. Uh, they're the people that you say, uh, can you help me when you've got a hundred windows open on your iPad, Kaz? Uh, and they wonder why nothing's working. And they just come over. They take it out of your hands. They don't even bother to explain it. They just do this, 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 and everything's perfect again. Have you, have you met someone from Generation Z? They are worth their weight in gold, believe me. I mean, they're being surpassed uh, by Generation Alpha. They're the ones that were born about 10, 12 years ago. Hey, these guys, they, they've been born into a digital world. I remember when, when Noah was a baby, we went to plant our first church in, in the north of England. When he was a, a baby, we got our first computer. Uh, I, and with it came a mobile phone, um, a Motorola uh, and uh, you could even send text messages on it. Um, I said to Kaz, what do I want one of these for? <laughs> Can you imagine? Um, Noah and other Generation Zs were born into this. They live online. There was a study by Ernst & Young about five years ago about how Generation Z are influencing retail, but they, the truth is the study shows they, inf they influence all of life. Listen to these four headlines, uh, and, and then you'll understand why we're talking about this. Um, the Gen Zers, have a f they, they are fascinating fascinated by new technology. Uh, that's what the study shows. We know that just from observation. Hey, there's a flip side to this. Let me tell you, if it's old, if it's over-familiar, then it's obsolete. It's past its sell-by date. I get bored really quickly. Gen Zers, they, 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 they expect everything to be easy to use. Um, I, I just need it and want it now. The other side of that, hey, friends, if things are hard, uh, I give up on them. Um, we've <laughs> when Gen Zers were first being born, we had the kind of internet in our house that you, you dialed up through your phone and a, a page of the internet. We used to go online just to send and receive our emails. Now there are shouts from upstairs, this internet is so slow, when it's about 100 megs a millisecond. Uh, they don't know they're born. Um, but they, they, they're insistent. Things need to be easy and need to be quick. But of course, the flip side is that we, we give up. Thirdly, they have a desire to, to feel safe. Uh, that's, a, that's a good thing. We want to be protected. Life can be difficult. But if, there are, if life is difficult, if there's conflict, I give up or I blow up. Uh, either way, I walk away. 
And they have a desire to escape the realities they face. That's why so many young men and women, I guess, find their way into, um, into tech and into games and into Netflix and um, not just young men and women uh, at that. Um, Ernst and Young said they have no brand loyalty. They care more about experiencing life. Hey, that's good. But it also means I make everything about me. It's about my needs, my rights. I'll go wherever I'm served quickest. I don't expect to wait in a queue. I've got Amazon Prime. I've, I've just pressed buy and it's not here yet. What's going on? Everything is adjusted to my preferences. Hey, Gen Zs are amazing. Um, and uh, they're self-taught. They've learned everything through YouTube. They've never read a book, but they know more than you or I have learned in a lifetime. Um, but nothing's deep. We've got a surface of information, but a shallowness. Our concern is that we bring that. And do you know what? It's easy to knock Gen Z, but actually we've, we've all got some of this in our hearts. The problem for us as disciples of Jesus Christ is that we bring this unthinkingly into our walk with God. We expect God to commit to us, but we don't commit to God. We assume God always wants what I want. That's where Judy's testimony is so powerful. Uh, Julie is, Judy is exhibiting uh, a countercultural experience and attitude when she says, I've thanked God for what I've been through the last year or so. This was not what she wanted. Therefore, how can it be what God wants? But God has worked something out through her life um, in, a, in a completely counterintuitive way. It's amazing. We assume that, that God and the church are here to serve me and my needs. Um, in this kind of culture, um, there's no room for sin. There's no room for fault. Um, there's no need to be forgiven by God. There's no need for God's anger against sin. There's no need for God to one day have to judge anything. There's no need for hell. It's just heaven for everyone by just getting along and enjoying and living a good life. I only commit to what I want to. If it doesn't work as I think it should work, I'll just go somewhere else. I have my, where my needs and my expectations will be more fully met. Is this speaking to anyone today or does it just describe some of the underlying attitudes in my life? I'm the center of everything. That's what this customized faith series has been helping us understand. This is commitment on my terms. It's a great story, and it's how so many of us live unthinkingly, but it's not the true story, even though most of Western culture seems to think and live that way and build their lives on this. Hey, friends, you remember back at the beginning of this series, Dave and Al showed us the belief tree, the things we're rooted in uh, as disciples of Jesus. Anyone remember that, by the way? Yeah, okay, you're still awake and with me. Listen, the Bible teaches us, we've read Psalm 37, commit your way to the Lord. We give everything to Jesus. Um, we center our lives around him, not around ourselves. When we, when we come to Jesus, there's a whole new reorientating that takes place. A life that has been lived solely around me and my felt needs becomes all about living for and serving the cause of Jesus Christ. And within that, he takes care of my needs uh, and my issues and my provision. It's, it's, it's an incredible change, uh, but one that takes a, 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 an incredible step of commitment from one life into the other. Our culture's thrown that away um, and, uh, and, and, and doesn't want to live that way. There's some fruit in our society because of how we live. There's a terrible impact on family life, on relationships, if stuff is obsolete quickly, if we struggle with commitment because of the way the world has shaped us. What does it do to my marriage? What does it do to my friendships? What does it do to relationships between parents and children? Um, 
what does it do to loneliness and depression? We're, we're more connected than we've ever been, and, and, and yet in the West we're more lonely and depressed, exacerbated by COVID over the last two years than we've ever been. Never mind commitment to life itself. Frighteningly, uh, um, amongst Gen Zers, there's a much higher rate of suicide and self-harm. That says something um, uh, about having lost any sense of purpose in life outside of Christ. Um, because life is fitted around my needs and my aims and my preferences, it impacts things like abortion at the start of life. Hey, we're, not, we're just not ready for this baby yet. This has interrupted my life plan. We thought maybe in five years' time, once we've got the mortgage or the job or the pay rise, and, and, and so we're not going to have this baby. We'll make a, a choice, a consumer choice. It affects things at the end of life. If things, when they no longer work or they get a bit slower, um, it affects people's attitudes to older people, to the elderly, to the sick. There's, there are whole lobbies now moving towards ideas of euthanasia uh, that come out of this cultural attitude that says if something is old and no longer serves a purpose, then we can just let it go now. It doesn't matter anymore. It affects our attitudes to the disabled and those who don't seem to offer anything to the world um, and just exist. This is sinful, and it's outside of the will of Jesus Christ. And yet, as disciples, all these attitudes get soaked up in our lives. We see it in church too, uh, consumer church, um, shaped by culture, not by discipleship, not my style, not my preference, doesn't work for me, don't like the lighting, don't like the coffee, um, don't like the music style, or maybe someone said something that was hurtful, and so I just stopped going. If, if we build church to consumer principles, shallow discipleship, um, there's, a, there's a word we get from consumers, the same root, it's customers. If churches start treating People, we're his people, we're the sheep of his pasture. I had a read it this morning, uh, and yet now unthinkingly, churches in our generation think of people as customers. We, we, we find if we build this kind of shallow discipleship, people will just drift elsewhere. Someone may be a better offer down the road. They've got better coffee, better sermon, better kids' work. Uh, they put on a better show. Wow, I saw something on YouTube during COVID. Was, they have better lighting. Uh, pastor had better hair. Um, that's, that's where I'm going to go. Now, we laugh, but these things are true because we've built a shallow discipleship. Uh, we've been dulled by a superficial gospel, a weak vision, no sense of kingdom call and adventure together. Hey, friends, I'm, I'm laboring the point here this morning, but when we're called to commit our ways to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the, the scriptures, when we open them up in this way, quickly expose some of these underlying attitudes, don't they, in our, in our hearts. Just nod. You don't have to let the person next to me know that you're nodding. But if you're nodding, yeah, plenty of nodding going on there. That's good. This is commitment on my terms. No, we're called to commit our way to the Lord, above everything else, above everyone else. The scriptures say we've died in Christ. We've been raised to a new life in him. We, we now walk together rooted in this deep commitment to him rather than anything else that our culture gives us even good commitments healthy ones like like marriage and and, and friendship they're only signposts to the deeper commitment that we have in Jesus it's a challenge for us today are we going to bow our knees in worship to Jesus to recommit our lives fully to his purposes and walk with him are we going to seek him first commit our ways to the Lord or are we going to allow this kind of compromise, halfway, culturally diluted, superficial faith? Um, 
I was brought up in my early years in the Salvation Army. Many of you will, will know that. My parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, all Salvation Army church leaders. Salvation Army was a militant church-planting movement that spread around the world uh, from the 1860s rapidly uh, within William Booth, the founder's lifetime, and uh, a radical, committed movement, particularly amongst the, the poor and in the face of, of great hostility. Um, when, I was, when my mum and dad had me as a baby, they they uh, dedicated me to God. It was a, we do it now. We do these baby Thanksgivings um, in our churches today uh, in the Salvation Army. When I was a boy, it was a pretty hardcore commitment. Uh, Mum and dad held me up um, and uh, they were asked this question. Do you wish the Lord, Je- do you wish the Lord Jesus to take possession of the soul and body of this child so that he shall only and always do the will of Jesus? They had to say, yeah, yeah we're, we're willing. And they were asked this question, are you willing that this child should spend his life in God's salvation war? Wow, I just wanted to say thank you for my lovely baby that was born healthy. No, he's, he's been born to serve Jesus in a war of salvation. Are you willing to send him, my mum and dad were asked, wherever God may choose to send him, whether he should be despised, hated, cursed, beaten, kicked, imprisoned or killed for Christ's sake. Are you willing to give up your child in this way? My mum and dad said yes. Actually, on that list of six things, I think I've had four out of the six. Um, and the two that are left are imprisoned and killed for Christ's sake. Um, and I hope that they're not coming soon. But that's what mum and dad prayed and offered me up to God for. Do you give up your child for this salvation war, for the cause of Christ? That's quite a commitment, isn't it? For parents, for children, for church family together. That's what I was promised to in God. And, and yet now in church, commitment is a word that we, we don't use very much. We're, we, we laugh about commitment phobes in, in life, but it's not, it's not funny. It shows our attitude has, has, has been so shaped by our culture um, we don't even use the word. When, when we grew up in church in the 70s and, and 80s, we used to, uh, to join a church. Um, you went on a commitment course. Uh, any, anyone around church in the 70s and 80s? Some of us here. Uh, and uh, I don't know how long your commitment course was. Sometimes they were 10 or 12 weeks every week. I knew one church that ran a midweek group every week for a whole calendar year. Uh, uh, literally, if you missed a week, you had to go. It was like snakes and ladders. You had to go back to the beginning and start all over again. And then you had some kind of exam from the board of elders at the end before they before they let you in. They took their responsibility to shepherd uh, and call people to commitment in Jesus very seriously. Now again, for some churches today, we, we, we don't want to offend. We treat people like customers. We don't want to push you uh, away. So we, we tend now to we speak about what we can offer you if you join us. We, don't, we try not to bless you. We try not to mention um, commitment. Or we certainly don't speak about serving or, or giving financially out of your service and worship of Jesus. Hopefully we can just sneak that in later uh, when you're not noticing. Uh, in our gospel preaching in so many of our churches today, we can communicate the positives of what Jesus will do for us in his love and his care and his help and his provision. All the things that were in the psalm that we read earlier. But we speak less about our commitment, our sin, our repentance our death to our old life, our being born again into a new life in Christ Jesus. We're worried this language will put people off. And so we're just a bit more careful about it. Friends, we're, we're creating consumer Christians. We've got no deep heart commitment to Jesus. We give them all the promises he makes to us without recognizing that, that we have a promise to make to him that I'm going to commit my life fully and completely to him. And it's no wonder then when life 
turns out a bit difficult. Remember, Jesus said you'll have trouble. Or when the church disappoints me and the church will, my expectations. It's no wonder I give up or I look elsewhere. It's because I've shaped my life around what I need on my terms. It's so at odds with the discipleship we see in the scriptures and down through church history and today through faithful men and women that we've heard from even this morning. Uh, This week we had a few days uh, away. I was recovering from shingles and thank you for praying for me. I I took a pile of books. I've read some really thick books on on one of my heroes, Hudson Taylor, um, missionary to to China, began uh, China Inland Mission. Um, But I took away with me, uh, because I I wasn't feeling all that great, I thought I can't get through a big book. And so I I took away um, from Kazi's bookshelf. This was given to your nan, wasn't it? I think in the the front. Um, She must have been a teenager. December 1948 to Dear Edna, with warmest love from Mr. and Mrs. Bland and Olive. I've no idea who Mr. and Mrs. Bland and Olive were, but what a great gift to Cassie's nanny, a children's biography on Hudson Taylor. Look at this. This is what, what commitment uh, means. Hudson Taylor, he's age 17. He's become a follower of Jesus. He says he was living with a fear of the Lord, but he realized that he longed occasionally for worldly pleasures. And so he became sad and concerned. He realized nothing less than a complete surrender could satisfy his conscience. When this point was reached, he was able to say, take me, Lord, soul and body, yours to be. Wow, what a point to get to. 17-year-old young man. God answered the yearning of his heart with a new experience of his love and forgiveness. So some, some rich promises of, of God. You're going to experience my love and my commitment to you. But it begins with me saying, God, I, I want all of you. I want everything. I want to lay my life down for you. In this moment, it was as though a voice came distinctly to him that spoke this command. Then go for me to China. Wow, 17 years old. Not doubting, he responded, yes, Lord. Um, and he began to realize that the sphere of his service was ultimately to be among China's millions who did not know Christ. So at the age of 17, he commits himself to the Lord's service. He commits himself to go to China, and uh, he begins to lay down his life. It was 1850. He lives in Barnsley, okay? And uh, there's not much China connection in Barnsley in 1850. He found a Sunday school superintendent who had a connection with the Bible Society, and he asked the Sunday school superintendent, um, can, can you help me with anything in the Chinese language? Uh, he, he was able to get him a copy of Luke's Gospel in the Mandarin dialect, it says here. Um, and uh, a young uh, 17-year-old uh, Hudson Taylor said, can you, can you give me any other works on China? He, he said he gladly lent him the books. But then when he learned of the purpose for which Hudson Taylor wished to read them so that he could go to China, the Sunday school superintendent said, oh, young man, as you grow older, you'll become wiser than this. Oh, no. Crushing a faith, not understanding a commitment to God. Uh, With only the Gospel of Luke as a textbook, he set to work to acquire knowledge of Chinese. (laughs) He's 17. His heart was in the work. And he made incredible progress with this slender aid alone. At the same time, he began collecting money for missionaries who were already serving God around the world. And he realized, I'm going to be going to China one day soon to share the gospel with millions who don't know Christ. So I'm going to commit myself now to share the gospel each day to people who live around me in Barnsley. What what does commitment to the Lord Jesus look like on his terms? It looks like this, doesn't it? Hudson Taylor, giving my life to God, obeying his call, preparing in advance for a call that he's whispered in my ear and taking action now with what I have and what I can do. Um, I love this. When he's in China with his first wife, who 
died after 10 years of, uh, of marriage, of, of cholera, um, at one of their centers and bases that they, they say, are you with me still in these stories? I could, I could do Hudson Taylor all day. I'll come back to the text in a moment, I promise. Um, and uh, there was a, uh, there was a, a riot uh, and there were thousands that were coming to, uh, it was around the time of the Boxer Rebellion, if you know your, your Chinese history. And uh, they were ripping up their mission stations, uh, breaking up their printing presses. They went to their home and destroyed uh, everything. Um, and uh, Hudson Taylor and his family and the other missionaries, they didn't seek protection. They just prayed and relied on God's promises. He wrote to a friend uh, the next day uh, and he said, uh, he said this, China is not to be won for Christ by self-seeking, easy-living men and women. Those not prepared for labor, self-denial, and many discouragements will be poor helpers in the work. Have you got that? This is what commitment to Jesus looks like. Friends, Crawley is not to be won for Christ. UK is not going to be won for Christ by self-seeking, easy-living men and women. Oh, hang on. It was all right. There were good stories when you were talking about China in the 1860s. Crawley won't be one for Christ in this way. Those not prepared for labor, self-denial, and many discouragements will be poor helpers in the work. The converse of that is those who trust Jesus through hard work, through self-denial, and keep getting filled with his joy and his courage through discouragement, they will be great helpers in the work. Oh, God, thank you for a church that, where that is, is growing. Um, his wife, uh, one of her responsibilities was welcoming other missionaries and their, and their wives. This is an old book, so they, just, they don't even give the wives first names. They just call them Mrs., Mrs., Mrs. Um, but uh, Mrs., Mrs. Taylor welcomed a missionary's wife to China. And as the night came, uh, she saw cockroaches creeping out from the crevices. Oh, Mrs. Taylor, she exclaimed, I really cannot go to bed with these cockroaches all about. Um, she, with another damsel, uh, prepared uh, a light so as to be able to stay awake and watch against these unwelcome visitors. Dear child, Mrs. Taylor said quietly, if God spares your life so that you can work for him in China, you will have many nights like this. You will not be able to afford to lose your sleep over cockroaches. Can you not lie down quietly and trust him to keep you? Wow. <laughs> As a rebuke from Mrs. Taylor, um, commitment on his terms. Commit your ways to the Lord, Psalm 37. It's a word for us to cherish. It, it takes Hudson Taylor, the cost for him is to leave everything and everyone and serve God in, in China. When Jesus asked his disciples to come and follow him. It doesn't mean, following doesn't mean walking around and getting your name in some Bible stories. There's a deep commitment. We see how deep it is. It took him and his friends to the, they were at the foot of the cross and then out into the world where most of them gave up their lives for this cause. That was the depth of their commitments. How do we commit our ways to the Lord? Peter tells us. We often refer to this, Acts chapter 2, and Peter knew a thing or two, as I've just said, about commitment to Jesus, about leaving his culture behind. He knew about the cost. Acts 2, he tells the crowd, repent, turn away completely, leave every other trust and commitment you have, repent, believe, be baptized, be filled with his spirit, begin to live like him, church, that's what commitment to Jesus looks like. We know this commitment is superficial when we observe churches and Christians who bear no fruit uh, and, and, don't look, and, and just look and sound like the world around them. We recognize this commitment to Jesus in disciples is authentic. 
when the world around us says of us as they would of Judy right now. And I'm sorry, Judy, for picking on you, but you are a great example for us. These men and women, they look and sound like they've been with Jesus. Just want to ask you this morning, I'm speaking to myself too. How's your commitment to Jesus as his disciples? How deep is it? How does the fruit of obedience show? Let me move to a conclusion because uh, I want us to pray and, and come back to God in worship. I, I said to, uh, to Nathan this morning, Nathan, I've got, I've got like three weeks of sermons today and um, we could keep laboring the point, but I, I think we just want to invite the Holy Spirit to help us to make a change uh, in, our, in our lives. Commitment in the Bible for disciples is, is probably about two things. Um, one, there are some things I do I do strongly, repeatedly, I fight for because I've got this conviction in my heart that it's all for Christ. Strong and repeated actions rooted in my commitment to Jesus. What do I do to Timothy 1.13? Paul says, uh, what you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Jesus Christ. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. My commitment to Jesus is expressed in doing something that is fighting for, practicing, living out daily the gospel that has been formed in my life, refusing to let go. To commit means to adhere to, to stick to. I, I grip to the gospel like Velcro. Every day I'm going to practice the good news of Jesus in my life um, as a countermeasure to the way that the world and its culture has shaped me. So there are some things that I do do. But commitment to Jesus means there are some things that I no longer do. I used to, but I no longer. 1 John 3, um, I'll share the passages later on the church Facebook uh, page. Uh, but 1 John 3 uh, tells us that no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. We, we've talked today about how easy it is to break commitment with the world's culture. But there's one area, disciple, where you're allowed to break commitment readily and happily, and that is with sin, with the world, with Satan. There's no compromise here. We just break it off. We cannot serve two masters. You can't have a foot in each camp. You can't make a promise to either side. Now, there's one word. It's repent. No compromise. Our only commitment here is to break off from every old allegiance, to move away and to give ourselves fully to Jesus. And breaking commitment with sin is not something that you and I can do by ourselves. Paul says in Ephesians 2, we were dead in our transgressions and sins, but God in his great mercy made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our sins. So Jesus has appeared. Uh, um, in, he's appeared to destroy all the works of Satan. We've been born again, born of God. Um, Satan's hold on our lives has been utterly broken. We've got a new hold now on Jesus Christ, a new commitment to him. Every old commitment's been destroyed by the death of Jesus on the cross. We, we can't go on with, a, with our commitment to sin any longer. That doesn't define us anymore. We've got a new practice now, a new commitment that we're walking in now that we've been born or oh God. This gospel's been entrusted to us. It's so precious. And so we break with the old and we adhere strongly with the Holy Spirit's help to the new. Hey, of course, we will continue to sin. Until the day Jesus returned. John addresses that in his little letter. My dear children, I write this to you, 1 John 2, so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, you have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Our commitment to Jesus now, first, means we're no longer defined as 
sinners. It's no longer our practice. We've got a growing resistance to sin and a growing joy in living for Jesus. But even when we do sin, we come to a saviour whose work on the cross uh, brings us uh, forgiveness and freedom and the righteousness of Jesus added to our lives. He's our defence. And so from the foundation of this new commitment, this new practice of living for Jesus, we're broken free from the slavery of sin. Can I hear a little hallelujah or amen from anyone who agrees with that this morning? In fact, I've said uh, commitment to Jesus is two ways. It's a taking hold of and a breaking off from. Actually, it's, it's three ways. Uh, and again, Judy preached it for us this morning. He commits to us. Wow. He commits to us. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Um, I call you my friends. I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. I'll provide for you, me as you seek me first. I'll give you the desires of your heart as you commit your life to me. What a commitment. What a faithful God. This is not all about me breaking off, all about me hanging on for dear life. No, there's a God who says, I'm with you. Here, receive my Holy Spirit. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to be your friend. I'm going to walk with you and lead you through this. Wow, I need to hear that this morning. Nathan, Hannah, band, the rest of you, do whatever you're going to do. I'm, I'm inviting you this morning with these many words to join with me in an act of resistance in this war for true commitment to Jesus and his cause in our generation. Will you stand with me, please? Let me just paraphrase Hudson Taylor again. We will not be one for Christ by self-seeking, easy-living men and women, those not prepared for labor, self-denial, many disappointments. They'll be poor helpers in the work. Lord Jesus, we come to you. We want to daily take up our cross and follow you. Lord, daily we want to fight the pull and the ease of sin and the pull and the influence of our culture. Daily we want to, with your Spirit's help, adhere and stick to and practice the gospel in, in our lives. God, my, I think my baptism many years ago, but I, I want to look back each day on my baptism and say, I've been born again. I'm in Christ now. He's with me now. He's given me new grace for this day. Lord, would you help each one here in this room to break any ready, easy commitment to sin, to Satan, to selfishness, to culture? Um, would you help us truly to form our lives around what it means to really be born again in you with this daily practice of the gospel? Um, Lord, help us to shape it in our lives, we pray. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Maybe there's a specific area of your life. You just want to bring it before the Lord quietly for a moment. Just start to worship, hey? It's not my terms, Lord. I'm offering you my whole life. It's easy to sing these words, to pray these prayers. This is a moment where we can get it right before the Lord. I've got um, 20, 21, I don't know, passages of Scripture that I thought I might work through this morning. 22. <laughs> I'm not going to work through them. I'm just going to pray the headlines now. and I'm going to invite you to pray with me. As, this is so countercultural, church. As I break from the old, as I give myself fully to Jesus, there are other commitments that then get shaped in my life. We've talked about the impact on family, on friendships, on attitudes and desires. They all begin to change. My commitment in every other area of my life begins to change as I get right my first and primary commitment to follow Jesus Christ. I don't know, we don't do this often, but if you're able to, if, if your knees aren't too old, I'm just going to, and if you're ready to, I want to invite you to kneel with me right now. I'm just going to lead you in a prayer of 
commitments. I'll share these passages with you later. But you can just echo these prayers with me. Lord Jesus, as your follower, I commit to love you first with my whole heart, soul and mind. Lord Jesus, I commit to love my wife, maybe you're saying my husband, faithfully for the rest of my life. Lord Jesus, if I'm single, I'm committing to honour marriage in others and to honour you with my body and with my sexuality and purity. Lord Jesus, I, I commit to support others within the church and to care compassionately for those outside. Lord Jesus, I'm cultivating a lifelong heart commitment to you and to your people that's rooted in your commitment to us. Lord Jesus, I'm committed to serving and honouring the Lord rather than the idols of my culture. Lord Jesus, I commit to trust you and honour you with my work in my workplace. Lord Jesus, I'm making a commitment to die to my old life each day in order to follow you wholeheartedly. Lord Jesus, I'm making a commitment to prefer others, to have a sacrificial sacrificial Christ-like life, even to laying down my own life. Lord Jesus, I'm committing to live a crucified life where I daily recognise my life is not my own but yours. Lord Jesus, I'm committing to continuing to meet regularly together with the church, your people. Lord Jesus, I've got a commitment to gather together for Bible teaching, worship, communion and prayer. Lord Jesus, I'm committing to boldly live and and proclaim the full gospel of Jesus. Lord Jesus, I'm committing to keep on doing good and not give up in and out of season. Lord Jesus, I'm making a commitment to purity and to leave every old sinful way behind. Lord Jesus, I'm committing to put you first and to trust you for my financial security. Lord Jesus, I'm making a commitment to follow you in times of trouble, even to die for you. Lord Jesus, I'm making a commitment to follow you faithfully, never giving up until I cross the finish line and receive the prize. Lord Jesus, I'm making a commitment to shape my life by new standards of gospel teaching. Lord Jesus, I'm making a commitment to cultivate fruit from fellowship with your Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, I'm committing to walk in the plans that you have made for my life. Lord Jesus, I'm committing to walk with others patiently, always seeking peace and unity. Lord Jesus, because of my commitment to you, I make a commitment to the poor, the weak, the vulnerable, the defenceless. Lord Jesus, we commit our ways to you this morning. We commit every part of our lives, every ambition, every agenda. We pray would you form and shape this kind of biblical discipleship in our lives, that we might be committed to you on your terms and not on our own. Just take a few moments to pray. One or two of those will have struck you or caught in your mind. Pray them through. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, can I urge you, repent this morning. Give your life to Jesus. Begin to follow him. In a few minutes when we finish, I want you to come and tell me or tell the friend that brought you. If you're with us on YouTube, send a message. We want to help you take your next steps. But break from the old and begin to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Let's worship him as we commit our lives to him afresh this morning.